The Money Show. The Africa Business Report. And on to Diana Games, who is Chief Executive at the business consultancy Africa at Work. Um, and I, I, I was surprised yesterday, Diana, to, to see it was the 35th um, anniversary of the crash of the Helderberg, which is that aircraft that took off from South Africa on its way to Taiwan and crashed off the coast of Mauritius under dubious circumstances linked, we believe, to the arms trade and all sorts of other things. But uh, 20 years ago, since a move towards free skies in Africa... And things seem to be finally taking shape on that particular front. Well, yes, Bruce, um, let's hope so. Uh, you know, 20, well, it was uh, 2000, the uh, African government signed up to what was called the Yamasukro Agreement uh, to liberalize air transport in Africa. And and despite, as as the case with many of these kind of agreements, um, everybody signed up, but but nobody wanted to implement it. So for 20 years, pretty much we've sat here, or 18 years really, um, with nothing much happening, and and you um, you know quite a lot of protectionism um, in the market, and people, um, especially with governments promoting their state carriers, etc. Then what happened in 2018 was the single air. Uh, African Air Transport Market um, Initiative was launched. And this is a flagship um, project of the African Union. And under this, now, it it turns out it was announced, I think, this week, that 17 African airlines are to open their borders to each other as part of a pilot to kickstart a more competitive aviation market. And the idea behind this is that it removes restrictions um, on on moving between countries, uh, such as the need for bilateral air agreements to fly between countries. So, Country airlines from one country can fly to another without having to go through a central hub such as, you know, Johannesburg, Nairobi, uh, Kigali, or, or particularly Addis, for example. And um, even Kenya Airways has already announced that it's looking at a Ghana-Senegal route to launch actually next month. So, so what what you're going to see is is the instead of having to go via Addis, for example, if you're flying on Ethiopian, in order to go to Ghana, you can actually then go direct, possibly from Johannesburg to Accra on Ethiopian Airlines. So it opens up a huge, huge kind of um, opportunity for for um, you know new connections and and hopefully cheaper airfares, cheaper cargo because of you know you're cutting back on the time between. Um, destinations, etc. And the prognosis or, or the studies that have been done, of course, predict huge GDP growth, thousands, many hundreds of thousands of new jobs and various other other um, outputs. But uh, there's not, and, and, and there are actually 35 countries signed up to this single African air transport market agreement, um, which is 80% of the aviation market in, in, uh, in Africa. But of these, only 17 are undertaking the pilot. And of course, this includes the big countries, you know, South Africa, yeah. Uh, Kenya, Ethiopia, etc. Plus quite a lot of smaller ones, such as Zambia, Cameroon, um, uh, Morocco. Air travel um, on this air travel on this continent, connecting the big cities on this continent, is witheringly expensive. I mean, it always has been, and there's not nearly enough competition. Does this Open Skies Agreement make it more competitive? Does it make it a a a more level playing field so that you can get the best operators offering the best fares on the best routes to make it more viable for us to trade and, and visit each other? Well, yes, I mean, this, this is the idea that that would be the case. Um, but, you know, obviously the, the, you know, the implementation is where, where the, the rubber hits the road and, and how, whether there is some kind of protectionism going to sneak in there. For example, will governments where, where they have national carriers, and there's a surprising number of African countries that have national carriers that you've never heard of. 
um, and and but would, would they prioritize um, their their um, airlines and squeeze out the private sector, the private airlines, which are often best placed to compete, for example, out of South Africa, for and and others. Um, and and what happens where a country does not have a national airline? Um, and and uh, I think the other big thing is is. The concern is, will the big airlines squeeze out the small ones? And that's always the thing is yeah. with competition. Um, you know, we're looking already, and Ethiopians is a key risk, I suppose, in this regard, because they already have this huge kind of um, uh, footprint. And what there also is, it's also less of a, a sort of an obvious thing, is they have stakeholder agreements and all sorts of, and, and shares in airlines, for example, Malawian airlines and, and um, ASCII airlines in in West Africa, and the Mozambique um, uh, national carrier, and so on. And so, what will happen there? Will they ditch these uh, these agreements as soon as they can? Because now they can go direct to those countries. They can fly from Johannesburg to Maputo without having to have any connection with the the, uh, the national carrier there. So it, it's sort of it's it's going to be a I suspect quite a turbulent um, time going forward. But I mean, it's all hopefully to our benefit as consumers. So so we'll see. <laughs> mm, absolutely, we we kind of think. Um, certainly, I think of Nigeria as a fairly prosperous place. It's a it's it's the biggest economy in Africa. It's got oil. It's massively entrepreneurial. People seem to hustle and do okay for themselves. But some very startling statistics on poverty levels across the 36 states of Nigeria. These are quite stunning, actually. Yeah, this is a very interesting report because, I mean, I think everybody's aware that the poverty levels are high in Nigeria. You just have to go there and travel around to see that. But what this report does, and it's put together by the National Bureau of Statistics, um, is it measures that kind of the, the, the poverty levels, um, what they call multi-dimensional poverty, which is anything from cooking oil to whether you have housing or security, etc., and uh, it's found that of the 220, well, it's hard to say if there's 200 or 220 million people in Nigeria. The last census was done in uh, 2006. But nevertheless, say 200 million people, 133 million were multidimensionally poor. So so that is a huge figure. Um, and a lot of people, investors, for example, you know, it's important to note this from part, partly from a development point of view, but from an investment view, you think, well, we'll we'll take our product to Nigeria. We've got a, a market market of 200 million people, and I often hear people using that number. But actually, then if you look at that, you take 133 million uh, people out of that, uh, it still leaves you with a significant number, and probably this population of South Africa. But nevertheless, it's it's important for investors to look at the at at, at where these people sit on the economic kind of measures uh, the scale. Because if most of these people are poor, then then it's not quite the market you thought it was. So it's very interesting to see this actually captured. Um, and it's interesting also that one of the, the main oil producing states, there's six main oil states in Nigeria, uh, Bielsa, is one of the three poorest of these of the 36 states, which is in itself says something about, you know, what they call the, the resource curse or whatever. So, um, so yeah, I think it's a very interesting map or, or um, a thing for for investors to look at if they're looking at um, at Nigeria. But and also, you know, the the the, the economy is is sort of battling. I mean, Absolutely. inflation I mean, is inflation, at a seventeen year high. Inflation in Nigeria. I mean, they've had monetary policy tightening, I think, for a decade. I mean, they've just been raising interest rates almost in perpetuity. There's been no relief, really, from a monetary policy perspective, regardless of global cycles in Nigeria from the last decade, as you say. 
Yeah, well, uh, this is a thing. And I mean, um, I think, you know, what happens is it makes it very difficult for people to borrow money because the interest rates are so high. Um, and, and, you know, inflation is high. And, and at the moment, there's a huge uh, foreign currency squeeze, which has been going on for some time. Um, and, and so there's a lot of issues that, that, that also help to impoverish people. The cost of, you know, it's a bit like South Africa, but a much more pronounced. The numbers are much higher in terms of percentage wise, certainly. And while Nigeria is experiencing some growth, their, their third quarter figure uh, said they're 2.25%. Um, so they're on a, still on a positive trajectory, but it is a decline from the previous quarter, quite a considerable one. And also they've got an election coming up in, in, in three months. And we all know the kind of disruption that that involves. So yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of, a lot of issues in that economy, but always interesting. Thank you, Diana Games. She is the chief executive, bless you, chief executive of the business consultancy Africa at Work.